We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 183 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, November 9th, 2021, the day after a wild game on Monday Night Football. Oh, trust me, I know, not because I watched every second of the game, but because I share a bed with a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I have procreated (laughs) with a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and so I got to hear every twist and turn in that game. The Steelers blew a 26 fourth quarter lead, but somehow won. Chris Boswell, 40-yard field goal with 26 seconds left in the fourth quarter, a 29-27 win over the Chicago Bears. The Steelers have got to be the worst 5-3 and three team in the history of of five and three teams. The Steelers, to me, have not been that impressive. Their point differential is minus eight, and yet the Steelers are five and three. And yet the Steelers have won four straight since a one and three start. Of course, my team hasn't been that impressive, so who am I to talk? Hello and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. My team, our team, uh, that isn't that impressive, practiced on Monday, and that team's return from its bye week. And boy, do we have some things to get into off what the head coach of that team, Washington football team head coach, Ron Rivera, had to say during his post-practice press conference. Ron went in-depth on the struggles of Chase Young this season. It is not often that you get something like what we got on Monday, but we got what we got on Monday. And, you know, it's not like Ron was ripping Chase, but Ron was pretty upfront about where Chase is going wrong and how he can be better. I so wish that we could have had a camera on Jack Del Rio while Ron was doing this. You know Jack. He doesn't like to say anything at his press conferences, and he, in fact, has taken some jabs at Ron for saying so much at his pressers. What do you think that Jack was thinking while Ron was opening up about Chase? We can only wonder. But anyway, next segment, you will hear every relevant thing that Ron said about Chase and my reactions to those things. Also from Ron on Monday, thoughts from him on the state of the Washington football team's rebuild. So I'll be getting into that as well. And we got a Logan Thomas update. Also on the show, a special guest, bracketologist Patrick Stevens of the Washington Post to preview the Maryland and Georgetown basketball seasons. The college basketball season will begin on Tuesday. The Terrapins will host Quinnipiac Tuesday night at 7. Patrick will tell us about the new look Terps, who have three key transfer acquisitions, a number of promising freshmen as well. And we'll talk about the Mark Turgeon contract extension. 
Did Damon Evans really, truly want to extend the Turds? And is the Turds finally going to lead Maryland to a deep NCAA tournament run? And like I said, Patrick and I will talk Georgetown as well. And I'll postgame a really nice win for the Capitals on Monday night. A 5-3 victory over the Buffalo Sabres at Capital One Arena as Alex Ovechkin was outstanding again and the rise of Connor McMichael continued. If you're a Caps fan like me, you right now have the greatest player in franchise history continuing to kill it in Ovi. And you have maybe the next great player for the franchise really standing out in McMichael. By the way, congratulations to the Nationals' Juan Soto, a.k.a. the Childish Bambino, uh, on being one of the three finalists for National League MVP. We got that announcement on Monday evening. This is a tight battle. Uh, The three finalists are Soto, our old pal, Philadelphia Phillies outfielder Bryce Harper, and San Diego Padres shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. Without doing a deep dive right now, just know that it's close between all three, especially between Soto and Harper, but there is a case to be made for Soto. I hope that he wins NL MVP. We'll get the announcement on November 18th. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Chris Merle on our conversation about the Washington football team and the NFL versus Congress on Monday show, episode 182. Writes Chris, agree with pretty much everything you said regarding WFT versus Congress, but there is a point here I think everyone keeps missing. Dan Snyder has continually efforted to use his political connections to try to acquire federal land for the next stadium. Given that the team is potentially trying to pursue a land swap deal with the federal government, I do think that lends the inquiry additional credence and offers a valid reason why this situation would result in congressional involvement rather than other scandals. Uh, Interesting point, Chris. It's one that I had not considered. So what Chris is referencing is the reality that the RFK stadium site is owned by the federal government. So the next Washington football team stadium being where a lot of people want the stadium to be, the RFK stadium site, would require the team buying the land from the federal government or at least gaining access to the land. A few things, though. First of all, Washington wanting the RFK stadium land was not mentioned in that initial letter that was sent from Representative Carolyn B. Maloney and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell on October 21st. You would think that Congress would have at least mentioned the RFK Stadium land if that was a primary motivating factor for getting involved in Washington's workplace scandal. Second of all, I wouldn't be so certain that Maloney, Krishnamurthy, or any non-area member of Congress is aware of the intricacies of the Washington football team's quest for a new stadium and, you know, the team potentially wanting the next stadium to be on the RFK stadium land and that land being federally owned. It's possible that Maloney and Krista Morthy are aware of all of this. I don't want to dismiss that as a possibility, but I wouldn't just assume that that's the case. Still, a good point raised by Chris. That is something that we should consider. Well, something else to consider is that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202 
202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, so the 2-6 and six Washington football team on Monday practiced for the first time since the team's Week 9 bye. Washington will host the reigning, defending 6-2 and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers this Sunday afternoon at 1. The Bucs, by the way, also had a Week 9 bye. Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon did a post-practice press conference, spoke for about 17 minutes, and the number one topic at the presser by far was Chase Young. As you may recall, we had a piece by Michael Silver on the Washington football team's official website, WashingtonFootball.com, last Thursday. Mike and Ron are pals. Uh, They both went to Cal. They've known each other for years. This is why Mike, who has been an NFL reporter and writer for years, took this job working for the Washington football team. Well, Ron, in the piece by Mike, spoke about Chase Young and Montez Sweat in a pretty direct way. Said Ron, quote, we would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates. Sometimes when a guy tries to chip them, instead of running through the chip and blowing that guy up, you'll see them duck underneath or slip around and miss a chance to make a play. Sometimes Chase starts outside and plants his leg and cuts inside because he's trying to make a play, and the quarterback gets flushed to the outside. If Chase stays outside, he has an easy sack, but instead he dives underneath and quote. So right there, you had Ron clearly saying that the team needs more from Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Ron has been asked about Chase and Montez, especially Chase quite a bit this season with each guy having a so-so season. Ron has largely defended Chase and Montez. Right there, you didn't exactly get Ron defending Chase and Montez. Now, Ron didn't trash Chase and Montez, but Ron said, quote, we would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates, end quote. By the way, that also was Ron saying that Chase has been guilty of not adhering to the defensive scheme, confirming what I and others have suspected all along, that when Ron has talked about players not playing the defensive scheme, Chase Young has been one of the players who Ron has been talking about. Now, of course, Montez Sweat now is out for a while. Uh, He and the loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8 suffered a reported non-displaced fracture of his jaw. He was expected to miss four to six weeks. And so now the focus really is on Chase Young in terms of Washington's top edge rushers. The deal with Chase Young this season is pretty well established by now. It's not that he has been terrible. It's that he hasn't been great. Chase Young has just one and a half sacks and just four quarterback hits this season. For comparison's sake, Jonathan Allen leads Washington with six sacks and leads Washington with 19 quarterback hits. How is it that Chase Young has four quarterback hits and Jonathan Allen has 19? Montez Sweat is second on Washington with four sacks and second on Washington with 12 quarterback hits. And again, it's not like Montez is having a great season, but you know, he's been all right. Uh, His numbers are much better than Chase's numbers in terms of sacks and quarterback hits. Now, of course, sacks and quarterback hits aren't everything for edge rushers, but sacks and quarterback hits are not nothing for edge rushers. And while Chase does have two forced fumbles, he also has an overall grade for pro football focus of 75.8. Now that's not bad, but that's also not great. That's not special. Chase Young is here to be special. Jonathan Allen's overall grade per PFF is 89.9. In case you're curious, Montez Sweat's overall grade per PFF is 74.4, actually slightly worse than Chase Young's. And so all of this brings us to Ron Rivera's post-practice presser on Monday, which ended up essentially being Chase Young Day. Uh, A number of questions about what's going on with Chase Young. And Ron, to his credit, opened up about Chase Young in a way that Ron perhaps had not previously. Here was Ron on Monday on what he would like for Chase Young to do more of. I'd like to see him pay a little bit more attention, you know, on the chipper. Just knowing that there's a guy there, hey, I'd love to see him run through that guy a few more times. Kind of set the tone and tempo instead of reacting to him um, a little too much. 
and I think that's one thing that he'll 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 get a little bit more comfortable with as he works on it. You know, and it's something that he really never had to face. Now it's something that's a little more prevalent that, that he and Montez are going to see a little bit more of. And you know, and we've seen it. I mean, statistically, it's been shown that you know these guys are are seeing chips about 55, 56, 57 percent of the time um, on on third down, third and seven to ten. All right, so there was Ron once again emphasizing the chipping, the extent to which Chase Young and Montez Sweat have been chipped this season. Oh, the chipping. You know, when I think about the most significant days in my life, I think about the day on which I got married, the day on which my son was born, the day on which my daughter was born, and the day that I learned about Chase Young and Montez Sweat being chipped. Uh, Ron cannot help himself when it comes to bringing up Chase and Montez being chipped. As I talked about on last Friday's show, episode 181, Ron in a conversation with Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington in an installment of the Washington Football Talk podcast that came out last Wednesday said that Washington, per research from somewhere, uh, Ron said, quote, I had this analytically looked at, end quote, on third and sevens through third and tens this season is getting chipped in some form or fashion on 57% of defensive snaps with the league average being around 30%. All right. Okay. So what? I don't get this fixation that Ron has with telling us how often Chase and Montez have been chipped this season. Chipping isn't some new revolutionary tactic. Many great edge rushers get chipped and double teamed. It's your job as an edge rusher to overcome being chipped and double teamed. And if your team has an edge rusher who is consistently getting chipped and double teamed, then that should be leaving other guys to make plays. And that hasn't been happening for Washington's defense this season. I can appreciate the fact that Chase and Montez are being chipped a lot, but as uh, former Indianapolis Colts head coach Chuck Pagano once said, so what? Now what? Have you ever heard this? This was Chuck Pagano a few years ago. When you get your knocked down, you get up off the mat and you fight. So what? Now what? Yeah. So what? Now what? I love that. That's what I say to this continued talk about chipping from Ron. So what? Now what? When you get your knocked down, you get up off the mat and you fight. So what? Now what? Exactly. So as Ron has said, Chase Young has been guilty of trying to do too much. Ron brought up an example of that in the cut from Ron that I just played for you. What's another example of Chase trying to do too much? More from Ron on Monday. He dives inside a little too much. I mean, and, and, and there's been a couple instances where you've seen the quarterback work out and get outside of where he was. And that's one of the things we talked, he and I talked about this today. And I said, look, you got to remember now, you know, it, it, I know you want to make plays. But the thing you got to do is you got to be patient, be disciplined, and let the plays come to you. You know, I went back and looked at all of his plays from last year. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, and one of the things that was really prevalent was you could see him sticking to the edge a little bit longer before he ducked inside. And, and that's one of the things I'd love to see him get back to. All right. So Ron right there, breaking it down in terms of where Chase is going wrong. Understand something about Chase Young last year. Chase in the 2020 regular season was number seven among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL in ESPN's pass rush win rate metric. That was not the case for Chase this season through week eight. Chase Young was very good last season. The advanced numbers reveal that. The advanced numbers for Chase Young this season reveal much more of a mixed season for Chase. You heard Ron mention a conversation that he had with Chase. We now get more on this conversation. So like I said, Montez Sweat is in the midst of an expected absence of four to six weeks. Is there more of a burden on Chase with Montez out? There is. And, 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 and to me, you know, and, and, and again, he and I had a great conversation, um, is that now's when you really got to play your game. Now you really got to stick to being disciplined. Yeah. And right there, those last few words from Ron, further confirmation from Ron that Chase has been guilty of not adhering 
to the defensive scheme. Was Ron's conversation with Chase part of Ron's normal bi-week conversations with players, or was Ron's conversation with Chase a separate conversation? This was a separate conversation. You know, there's there's a, there's a lot of pressure on him now with Montez out. I wanted to, you know, just talk to him about it and make sure he understands that he doesn't have to, you know, do something extraordinary. He's just got to go out and be him. You know, I want him to come in with the right focus, the right mindset. You know, I don't want him to come in and think that every play has got to be great. You know, every play's just got to be the play he's supposed to make. And he has that skill set and the ability to do it. Yes, he does. We would not be spending so much time on Chase Young if that was not the case. We're not spending all of this time on, you know, Casey Tuhill. Uh, all due respect to Casey Tuhill. But Ron and Matt Cutt acknowledged that his conversation with Chase was not part of Ron's normal bi-week conversations with players. The conversation with Chase was a separate conversation. And so all of this begs the following question. Why was Ron so open about Chase Young to Michael Silver in that piece on the Washington football team's official website. That was a piece on the team's official website. Team websites usually are where you get, if not puff pieces, then certainly pieces in which people are careful with criticism. Ron was pretty direct with Mike. Good for Ron for doing that, and good for Mike for writing what he wrote. But here was Ron on Monday on why he chose to make his criticisms of Chase Young public in that conversation with Michael Silver? Because he asked me the questions. They were very direct questions, and I was just being honest about it. You know, and, and again, but he knows, what, you know, what I've, what, I've, what I've said. And it's pretty much, I think, what I've told you guys. I just amplified it a little bit more because, you know, Mike put it out there. But it's nothing different. I mean, if it was something that was, you know, way out there, I'd be concerned, but I wouldn't do that to him. This is just something I think that everybody sees and everybody understands. Um, he's been tremendous about it. You know, he works at it. That's the thing. I, I hope everybody understands that this young man is, is trying to play the best of his ability. You know, he's seeing some things that are a little different for him, a little new for him, and we're trying to help him through those, learn and understand how to win uh, in those situations. But it's not for lack of trying. This, guy, this kid's busting a gut every day. He comes out and he comes to practice with the right attitude. You know, he come, he's come in and he's, he's sat down and watched film with me and we've talked about things. And, you know, he's seen extra film with his position coaches. He and Montez work together on a lot of things. Now with Montez being sidelined for a little bit, he's going to have to work with some other folks. But th- this, this young man's trying to do everything the right way. And it's just been hard. I mean, he's, you know, he's become a focus of a lot of the offenses we've played. And notable from Ron in that cut was him making it a point to praise Chase Young. Ron has been critical of Chase's play and production, but not of Chase's work ethic, not of Chase as a person. And I think that that is a key point. This is not a Dwayne Haskins situation in which the player isn't putting in the time. Chase is working hard. He's just not getting the results that he and the rest of us want him to get. One more for you from Ron on Monday on Chase. Ron on Monday on whether even at the NFL level, there are basic football things that need to be taught. There are a lot of things that still have to be coached and still have to be taught. Things are thing, things from one level to the other are completely different. It's a completely different style of play uh, every week. You know, you, you, you have a lot to learn and develop. Um, a lot of these guys are only playing, you know, they're, they're, they're there for three years. Some of them may only play one year. Now, I know he played all three years. But, you know, back in the day, guys played four years of college football and then came into the league, and they had a lot of experience from having played four years of college football. A lot of guys really only become starters and only play one year, and the next thing you know, they're in, this, they're in the league. And, and you know, and, and, and if you take a guy high, now all of a sudden he's expected to play. I, mean, I remember back in the day, you draft a guy in the first round, didn't necessarily mean he was going to be a starter. Now you draft a guy in the second or third round, everybody wants him to start. And there's a lot of pressure on these young men. And some of it has to do with the salary cap because you've got to play you know, the draft picks because the draft picks save you money because of the way the salaries are structured. So you play young guys. And for a young guy like him, with all the pressure on him being the second pick, the expectations, you know, uh, people say, oh, they're fair because you took them as a second pick. Well, yeah, they are. They're, 
but at the same time they're unfair because he's still growing and developing and learning too you know last year he won on tremendous talent and what he was learning this year you know people have adjusted to him and they attack him differently in terms of protections and it's been tough and and again these are hard knocks these are hard lessons but you know that's that's how you become better if you champion those things and learn those things you're going to have a good career and i believe this young man's going to have a great career I hope that Ron is right about Chase Young having a great career. He certainly is not having a great season, but the guy is loaded with talent. The guy, as best as we can tell, is healthy. And Washington has nine games left in its regular season for Chase Young to bust out. We'll see if he does. This Washington football team season may essentially be over in terms of contending for the postseason, but few things would be better regarding next season than Chase Young going on a tear the rest of this season. Well, there's no better way to grow your business than with Imageworks. Imageworks is a full-service boutique web design, branding, and marketing company. Clients in the DMV and throughout the country trust Imageworks to deliver full-service, forward-thinking, and growth-accountable marketing services. From the forging of authentic brands and the development of engaging websites to the reeling in of new customers and the spreading of brand awareness, Imageworks' creative minds are focused on one goal— your business success. Imageworks will help you find more customers, tell a story that positions you as a leader, increase conversions, plan your overall marketing strategy, nurture warm leads, and much more. But Imageworks is more than a branding and marketing firm. Imageworks is a one-stop digital shop with a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. Imageworks thinks of you as a collaborative partner. Imageworks works best as an extension of your team, pitching ideas, thinking outside the box, and developing the strategy, branding, and marketing campaigns that'll take you from A to B. Put Imageworks to work for you by calling 703-378-0000. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again is 703 703- Three seven eight zero 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 zero, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. You can also find out more by going to imageworkscreative.com. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. More now on the Washington football team off its return to practice on Monday off the team's week nine bye. So as you probably know, uh, this season is not going well for Washington. The team is two and six. The team has a point differential of minus 71. The team has lost four consecutive games. The team has totaled a mere 33 points over its last three games. Rod Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Monday on where he is at with the state of the rebuild. Yeah, yeah I still think this 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 team's going to develop and grow and be what I believe it can be. You know, just because you take a step backwards doesn't mean you're not you're not learning and growing. You know, this has been tough. I agree. It's about winning, and and there were high expectations, but. You know, I, I, you know, and I know I'm, I repeat myself, but I did talk about maturity, and, and this, this is this is the result, in my opinion, of some things, of some of us not being able to handle certain situations, circumstances, you know, and and when it comes to maturity, it, it's it's when you know what you're supposed to do becomes what you want to do. That's when you know these guys are learning and growing, and so I try to observe, I try to watch try to pay attention and and that's you know how I draw my conclusions on where I think we are and where I think we can be and you know um, I'm not going to waver I'm going to stick to to the plan I mean if if I wavered and and, and didn't stick to the plan several years ago you know my situation could have been different but I'm going to stick to what I know and believe in what I'm doing Um, you know I I, I, at any point did I think this was going to be a a, a one and everything's fine Um, there's a lot for us to do And we're still working on those things. Yes, you are. So interesting to hear Ron bring up maturity for what felt like the 4,000th time since the end of last season. It's very cryptic to me that Ron has continually talked about the team needing to be more mature. And in that cut, pretty much saying that the team is lacking 
in maturity. And I'm not saying that Ron is trying to be cryptic, but to me, it does come off that way because the obvious question is, well, who is Ron talking about? Now, offer conversation about Chase Young last segment. You would think that Chase is among those guys, but who else is among those guys? Because this can't just be a Chase Young thing. Uh, here was something else from Ron on Monday regarding the state of the Washington football team's rebuild. So Ron on Monday was asked whether he encourages his players to try to have fun, given how things aren't going well right now. Here was Ron's answer, and pay attention to what Ron says in the second half of the cut. Oh, yeah, I try to encourage those guys to, 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 to you know, to, to keep their heads up. I encourage those guys to, to have fun. I encourage those guys to work hard. I mean, it, it's, their only way through this is to work hard. There, there's no quick fix. There really isn't. You know, I know some people have poked it, pointed some other teams. Oh, look at this team. Well, you know, there, there, there are some other outside reasons why they're, they're the where they are in terms of, of players. So at the end of the day, guys, we have what we have, and we're going to work with it and do the best we can. Because at the end of the day, these are the guys that got to develop. So did what stood out to me right there stand out to you? Said Ron, quote, I know some people pointed to some other teams. Oh, look at this team. Well, there are some other outside reasons why they're where they are in terms of players. End quote. Interesting to hear that from Ron. There are some other outside reasons why they're where they are in terms of players. I'm assuming that Ron is talking about, say, those teams that were bad but have since gotten themselves franchise quarterbacks, talking about the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow and the Los Angeles Chargers with Justin Herbert. That would be my guess as to what Ron is talking about. I thought that that might have been Ron alluding to the many off-the-field things that he has had to deal with since becoming Washington head coach. But Ron said, quote, there are some other outside reasons why they're where they are in terms of players, end quote. So he said players. He seemed to only be talking about football. There is an element of excuse making there from Ron, though, for these two reasons. Number one, you know, Ron's the head coach in what, right? The coach-centric approach. Ron is the Don of the Washington football team family. He is Don Ron. He runs player personnel. The picking of players ultimately falls on him, unless Dan Snyder is ordering Ron to pick certain people. But as best as we can tell, that's not happening, at least not yet. So if Ron doesn't love some of the players on his roster, well, who picked these players? You picked these players, at least a good bit of them. Number two, the real disappointment with this Washington football team season for me, and I know for many of you, is the defense. I'm not going to say that the offense gets a pass, but the offense has been ravaged by injury. The defense has not been. The defense has far more perceived talent than the offense has, and yet the defense has been Washington's biggest weakness. Think about Washington's two wins. Washington's two wins were due almost entirely to the offense, not the defense. And the defense being the major disappointment that it has been has nothing to do with Washington not having a franchise quarterback. Ron says regarding other teams doing better than Washington is doing, quote, there are some other outside reasons why they're where they are in terms of players, end quote. You can't say that about Washington's defense. What Ron said right there is not applicable regarding Washington's defense. People still really don't have a good explanation for why this defense has been so bad. I ask just about every Washington football team-related guest on this podcast why Washington's defense has been so bad this season, and nobody has had a slam-dunk answer. And that may be because there is no slam-dunk answer. But if the defense was great and the offense was, you know, meh, I think that people could live with that. It's that the defense has been really bad that has put a particularly bad taste in our mouths regarding this Washington football team season. Well, something that would make us feel better about this Washington football team season would be Logan Thomas coming back. Washington's current four-game losing streak coincides precisely with Logan being out. He has missed the last four games. Uh, Logan has been on the reserve injured list since October 6th due to a hamstring injury that was suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. Uh, Logan can be back for this Sunday afternoon's game 
against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field at 1. Logan did practice on Monday to at least some extent. There was no injury report for Monday, so we don't know uh, whether Logan was a limited participant in practice or a full participant in practice. But he was wrong on Monday on if there's a chance that Logan will be back practicing the next time that Washington practices, which will be on Wednesday. There is. And, and again, today was really the day to see where he is, see how he reacts tomorrow, and then we'll go from there. I mean, that, that was the plan all along going into last week was each, each day during last week they were going to do something different and put a little, bless you, put a little bit more stress on him and everything. And then today we're going to put a whole bunch on him and then see how he reacts tomorrow. And then we'll come back and we'll see if he's ready for it. Uh, and if he is, then he'll practice on Wednesday. Of course, there is no magic bullet for all that is ailing Washington right now. You know, the return of Logan Thomas is not going to change the entire trajectory of this Washington football team season. I think we all get that. But Washington, over its last three games, has totaled just 33 points. Washington's offense during this ongoing four-game losing streak is a jaw-dropping 2 of 11 in the red zone. Logan Thomas can help, so hopefully he will be back for Sunday against the Bucks. Maryland basketball season will begin on Tuesday night. This appears to be one of the better teams that Mark Turgeon has had as Terrapins head coach. Will this finally be a season that results in a deep NCAA tournament run for the Terps under the Turge? Uh, I'll preview the Terps and Georgetown with bracketologist Patrick Stevens of the Washington Post up next. Hey guys, Al Galdi here. Washington football team season continues and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, get your tickets at TickPick.com slash Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. Whether you're looking to see Washington take on Tom Brady and the Bucks at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon or want to make the trip to Vegas to watch Washington play at the Raiders on December 5th or want to hit up any of Washington's five NFC East games over the final five weeks of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, the college basketball season will begin on Tuesday. Maryland is number 21 in the Associated Press Bowl. The Terrapins will begin their season on Tuesday night, home to Quinnipiac at 7. Georgetown will begin its season until this Saturday afternoon, home to Dartmouth at 2. Very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, bracketologist Patrick Stevens of the Washington Post. Nobody covers college basketball in the area like Patrick does. You can follow him on Twitter at Discourse, but with the number one instead of the letter I. Patrick, very nice to talk to you, man. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. Great to uh, have you back on the pod here. So another college basketball season is upon us, and there are significant expectations for Maryland. It's beginning the season as a top 25 team. Uh, Terps have welcomed three significant transfers. Mark Turgeon got a contract extension this past April. What to you is a realistic expectation for Maryland basketball this season? I think Maryland can realistically be a, a top 20 team nationally. It, I, I think it could obviously be a little bit better. But if we're sitting here saying, what what is the sort of standard for this team? It's probably top 20 nationally, top four or five in the Big Ten. Now, I mean, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, Purdue, all really good uh, in that mix, too. So it's not as if they're, they're, there's a clear path there to winning a conference title or anything. And then... Uh, realistically, I think it's a team that can make the second weekend of the tournament. You probably need a little bracket luck, and some of that you make your own, right? Like, if you're a two-seed or a three-seed, your path to getting to the second weekend should be a little bit less bumpy than if you're a four or a five-seed. So I think a lot of the a lot of the path to getting to that second weekend and breaking through for the second time under Mark Turgeon uh, is going to be decided in part by the regular season. So you mentioned what would be a second time for Maryland breaking through to a Sweet 16 in an NCAA tournament under Mark Turgeon. This season, incredibly, will be Turgeon's 11th season as Terps head coach. He has made a bunch of NCAA tournaments as Terps head coach, but of course he's made just the one run to a Sweet 16 that coming in 2016. How fair is it, in your opinion, to hold the lack of significant NCAA tournament runs against Turgeon? I, I think there's certainly some validity to it. Uh, you kind of look at... Um, you kind of look just in general, a little bit of bracket luck and a little bit of, of how things have been spaced out here, too. I, I think about how, in some ways, that one Sweet 16 team was, was frankly one of the more disappointing teams that he had, even though he made the Sweet 16. It was a team that had these huge this huge hype and these great expectations, and they never really got better, and they weren't a whole lot of fun to watch. Like They didn't really fit together very well on the floor. It wasn't very good basketball, whereas... You know, a team like last year, I think we can agree, pretty much maxed out with what it was with what it had and being able to make the second round. I think some of this comes down to the idea of, of evaluating three or four or five games in March over the you know outweighing thirty regular season games. And I think that you know for people that only pay attention in March, it's probably natural that Turgeon's going to be judged in that way. You know, I think it's kind of interesting that that you have a you have a guy. Um, you know, in the last decade or so, that's only made it out of the out of the uh, first weekend of the tournament twice, uh, three times, I should say, because he did it last year in Jay Wright. But he has two national titles, so it, it's not like it's not like you're in the in the uh, in the conversation at the end every year at Villanova. But it seems that way because a they're a better regular season team than just about everybody, but also that they have the two titles. You know, if you're Maryland. You just sort of you're looking for that breakthrough. I think you know Mark Turgeon will say it over and over and over again. You know who knows what would have happened in 2020 with the season that was lost to the pandemic. I mean, my guess is is that team goes out in the second round of the Sweet 16. But you have some people could argue they would have lost their first game. Some people might want to argue they could have made the Final Four. We'll never know. So that's kind of a lost opportunity there. You know the fact that the 2016 team didn't go as far as it as everybody thought it was going to. I think that probably gets held against him a little bit. Uh, and so, 
it's certainly the one thing kind of hovering over Maryland. Like, how how long can you keep going without these deep tournament runs? I mean, it, it's not just uh, it's not just something that started when, when when Turgeon got hired. This is a program that has been to the second weekend of the tournament once since two thousand three, which is kind of baffling when you think about how they've gone seven times in eleven years prior to that. Yeah, it's been a humbling run for Maryland over the last twenty years or so, no doubt. When it comes to the contract extension for Mark Turgeon, do you think that Damon Evans extended Turgeon because Evans wanted to extend Turgeon? Or do you think that Evans extended Turgeon because Evans felt like he had to extend Turgeon? Kevin Anderson, not Damon Evans, was Maryland's director of athletics when Turgeon was hired as head coach in May 2011. Evans was publicly noncommittal regarding Turgeon during last season. What's your sense on how willing Evans was to extend Turgeon? When, when you look at any sort of university structure, including an athletic department and other stuff, you know it's it, those sorts of decisions, especially when it comes to men's basketball and football coaches, are not made exclusively by one person. And I, I tend to think that you know that there are people at Maryland that do like the fact that you have a reliability with Mark Turge and he graduates players that, that stick around for four years. He, he makes the tournament just about every year after, you know, kind of a rocky start those first couple seasons, but has stabilized into being a reliable top 20 to 25 team. There's not many guys when you go back and look, uh, and this kind of speaks to your idea of, you know, feeling like you had to extend the guy. There's not many guys that have been fired when they've made like five of the last six NCAA tournaments for reasons other than, misbehavior like Bob Knight got fired but that wasn't because he didn't win enough it was because of other things and I could give you a a, a longer list of that but there's two guys basically that have been fired for not winning enough despite making five of the previous six NCAA tournaments and those two guys are Rick Barnes at Texas and Steve Lavin at UCLA and you know I, I don't know if Maryland's expectations internally are quite as out of whack as, as what you get at UCLA and you know Rick Barnes had, had done a, had a, done a great job at Texas for a long time, and that thing had probably played itself out. And it proved, and he's proved that just by going and doing really well at Tennessee. You know, it didn't work out quite as well for Shaka Smart at Texas. But back on point at, at, at Maryland here, you know, I, I think that it, it would not have looked that great to have you know pick your euphemism there, right? Parted ways or, or whatever uh, at a, at a point right after I think Turgeon did his best coaching job. I mean. You can sit there and argue that he put himself behind the eight ball because of a poor offseason in terms of stocking his roster. But in season, I, I thought Turgeon did about as good a job as he could have a season ago. And I don't think that after that and after squeezing as much as he did out of that roster, uh, that it would have looked all that great to go in a different direction, especially since there's no guarantees, particularly under, you know, under the current conditions. And you don't know how much money Maryland's realistically going to spend. It's not like Turgeon cashed in on that contract extension. There, there's, he's basically at about the same salary that he was at previously. The, the big difference in that contract, besides adding the years, was changing the buyout structure essentially to make it easier for Maryland to move on. It's no longer everything's guaranteed. It's a, it's a, it's a sliding scale. Uh, and so I think, you know, if you're, if you're Maryland, you've essentially said, uh, based on all the bonuses and that buyout change, that what's important is postseason success. And if you're Mark Turgeon, you've basically kind of resigned yourself to the idea that that is what you're getting evaluated on moving forward. Talking Maryland basketball with bracketologist Patrick Stevens of the Washington Post. So when it comes to the roster that Mark Turgeon has put together for this coming season here, three big transfer acquisitions for the Terps. Georgetown transfer Kudus Wahab, Rhode Island transfer and point guard Fats Russell, and Utah transfer and shooting guard Ian Martinez. Which guy do you think will have the biggest impact on the Terps this season? I don't think there's any doubt it's going to be Fats Russell. I mean, just getting the chance to see them uh, play their exhibition game against Fayetteville State the other night. I mean, they have they have a point guard. I mean, they didn't have one of those last year, basically. Uh, you know, they had guys that could fill in there. You know, you could have Eric Ayala play the point. And I think he's a capable ball handler, but he's probably not the guy you want doing that 100% of the time. They had Hakeem Hart playing there, and they got a lot more mileage out of him than anybody could have guessed. But that's probably not where you want him playing either. You know, Fats Russell's a guy that, 
that, that has had a, a great career, not, not a good career, a great career at Rhode Island, been a part of a tournament team, at least one tournament team with the Rams. And, you know, he was a scorer uh, up in Kingston. Now he's going to be a distributor. He was, he was just absolutely delighted. Uh, that, that, that this is the situation he finds himself in, just passing to guys like uh, Wahab and, and Eric Ayala and, and Dante Scott and, and just kind of handling his business and not, not being the, the center of attention. I kind of think that, that uh, you know, Fats Russell is looking at a season where he's going to be asked to take about half as many shots, but twice as many of them uh, are going to be open looks than what he was previously accustomed to, which is a pretty good deal. Uh, and so I think he is, in a lot of ways, a, a really huge key uh, for, for what they're going to do. You mentioned Ian Martinez, who's not quite back to full strength, not quite back to full health. He had off-season knee surgery. But there's an athleticism there that I think is going to be really, really valuable for Maryland. And at the very least, he's a guy that they're going to be able to get quality minutes from at a couple guard spots. Uh, and so, you know, he'll probably be on the floor with either Ayala or Russell, probably not without either on the floor at one time. So he might be able to share in some of the ball handling, um, ball handling duties as well. Interesting thing on Wahab. Uh, if you look at the uh, pronunciation guide on the name, he has gone from Kudus to Kudus, uh, which uh, was not what I was expecting to see. <laughs> but that was that. So it's Kudus uh, Wahab, uh, and so he, uh, you know, proven big man. And so they're going to have. Uh, they didn't have that last year. I mean, Dante Scott played played undersized last year at the five for the most part. I, I think he's going to be a great finisher for them. He'll help their rebounding, which is something that Mark Turgeon has always harped on. And, and I, I think that checks a box for them. But the biggest difference of all, I think, is going to be just having that reliable point guard they can count on. Yeah, as you probably know, these pronunciation guides sometimes are all over the place. And they will actually write the pronunciations incorrectly so it can be awfully confusing, like, okay, you write it phonetically this way, but it's actually still said this other way. So I guess we'll have to make sure we uh, have the first name of Kudus or Kudus Wahab correct. Well, it's, it, it's interesting, you know, you, you cross the district line and, and, and maybe there's like a, you know, maybe there's a, a pronunciation portal that you go through <laughs> when you go through the transfer portal. Yeah. So. so Maryland also has a good number of promising freshmen, uh, Julian Reese, Ike Cornish, James Graham III. I know it's not easy projecting who's going to do what, but if you had to put your money down on which freshman will do the best for the Terps this season, which freshman do you think that is? I think that's Julian Reese, and, and he played he played significant minutes the other night against Fayetteville State. For now, I think that they're content to have him and Wahab essentially split time at the five, uh, and maybe as the season goes along, maybe you see a scenario where the two play together at the same time. Uh, but but Reese was a guy that that looked like you know there's going to be some ups and downs for him, uh, but that's a that's a really good strong long term maybe not necessarily super long term but you know multi-year uh, big man for them to be able to count on and, and if he does kind of develop and, and they do kind of create some versatility all of a sudden you have Wahab and, and Reese and that's you know kind of echoes of Bruno Fernando and Jalen Stick or Jalen Smith sorry Sticks uh, having both of those guys being able to, to, to log time in the same front court. So, you know, Reese, I think, had 14 points against Fayetteville State. Uh, I do not think that that is going to be a, a Jinsu Choi type of situation for Merrill. I think they're going to be able to get a lot more out of him than just simply a great exhibition debut. Uh, so I, 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 do like, uh, I do like him being able to contribute. I think they're going to see minutes for James, James Graham regardless. I think they need to get him some minutes, especially that he made the effort to, to come and, and join the team uh, in the middle of last season. I think there's probably a little bit of a necessity there to, to play him a bit and, and give him a shot. Uh, and I think Ike, Ike Cornish didn't come off the bench until fairly late in that exhibition game, which which tells me that he's a little bit further behind in his progression, uh, which, which is understandable for a first-year guy who obviously wouldn't have gotten a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of a senior year in high school so uh, at this point though Reese is definitely the guy to keep an eye on I do want to get your thoughts on Georgetown so the Hoyas lost Wahab to Maryland but the Hoyas have a very impressive freshman class led by Aminu Muhammad and big man Ryan Matumbo son of Dikembe Georgetown of course pulled off the miracle run last March winning four games in four days in the Big East tournament to clinch the school's first NCAA tournament berth 
since 2015. This will be Patrick Ewing's fifth season as Hoyas head coach. What do you make of Georgetown heading into this season? It's kind of a tough call there because we, you, know, you really haven't heard much from Georgetown. There hasn't exactly been a whole lot of uh, media opportunities over there. Uh, and in general, I, I don't think there, you know, there really isn't a, a whole lot of a buzz, even less so than under normal, you know, Georgetown standards. Uh, and so, you know, you know, they've got some pieces. They've still got Dante Harris, who was fabulous in that Big East tournament run. They still got Donald Carey, uh, who, who played for them last year. And like you said, they, they have a bunch of, a bunch of freshmen that are going to play this season. Uh, ultimately, you know, one of the biggest news, pieces of news in the, in the offseason or in the preseason, I should say, was they were supposed to get uh, one of the better players out of the Ohio Valley, Trey King from Eastern Kentucky. But uh, Trey King uh, not in school anymore, and so that leaves them without a, a 6'9", 225 guy uh, with some significant uh, Division One low post experience. And so I think if you're if you're Georgetown, you're kind of a mystery team at this point. How are all these new pieces going to fit together? How much experience do they really have? I, I, I think the good thing for Georgetown is you look at the Big East, and besides Villanova and UConn, I'm not sure there's anybody there that really scares you, that makes you think that they're going to go. They have it in them to go 15-5 and five in the conference or 14-6. and six. But you start going down the list, Xavier, Seton Hall, St. John's, Butler, Providence, Creighton. There's a lot of teams there that I think have the potential to be NCAA tournament teams. And I didn't mention Marquette, which is in a little bit of a reboot under Shaka Smart. You know, I, I think that, you know, last year, and I can't tell you how many times Patrick Ewing said they picked us to finish last. Uh, well, we were going to pick, be picked fish to finish next to last this year with DePaul uh, in that 11th spot. I don't know just how good they're going to be. I, I think it's a, they're definitely a team that is a bit of a question mark at this point. Uh, and, you know, I suspect that whenever and if there is any sort of criticism, uh, they'll just point and say, well, we won a Big East tournament last year. And, and that's going to be kind of the catch-all answer to a lot of things this season. So, uh, you know, I, I would expect them to be about a 500 team overall this season uh, and towards the bottom of the Big East. Georgetown's winning of the Big East tournament this past March was great, but the winning of the tournament was just a four-day stretch. Georgetown was not going well prior to the Big East tournament. Georgetown then got smashed in the NCAA tournament. Do you think that there's real pressure on Patrick Ewing to win this season, or because he's Patrick Ewing, because he just brought in this impressive freshman class, Patrick has at least another season beyond this season as Hoyas head coach? You know, I think with Georgetown, it's a school that doesn't operate based on the external expectations or what you would normally kind of you know create as a cookie cutter type of situation. It's it's its own universe, and it and it really has been now for basically fifty years. Uh, Georgetown's going to do what Georgetown's going to do, and it's not exactly it's not exactly the most transparent situation. It's not the easiest situation to be able to, to sort out. And so I think Patrick Ewing being the program legend, Patrick Ewing having gotten them to the tournament last year, Patrick Ewing having, you know, a, a freshman class, that seems pretty promising are all things that you can check boxes in his favor. It should be pointed out that he had a really promising freshman class a few years back too. And those guys all scattered to the wind for a variety of reasons. Mac McClung, uh, James Akinjo, Josh LeBlanc. I mean, that looked like that was going to be the core that really carried them uh, forward. And, you know, none of those guys were able to last beyond their junior year. So, um, in fact, none of them last beyond their sophomore year. So, the question is, can, can he build a, a core group that sticks together? Which is in, it's harder today, certainly, than it was when he was playing. Uh, but all these other things that you kind of, we mentioned earlier, the, the tournament, the freshman class, all this stuff, you know, the, the, the credibility of being a Georgetown legend, I, I don't foresee that situation changing, barring something really unusual happening or them being unbelievably bad. And I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. Nobody covers college basketball in the area like Patrick Stevens, bracketologist for the Washington Post. Follow him on Twitter at Discourse, but with the number one instead of the letter I. Patrick, always great to have you on, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Al.
Let's talk Capitals. It wasn't that the Caps had been awful lately, but the Caps had lost three consecutive games, and the first and third losses in a losing streak had been the Caps' first two regulation losses of the season. So given how good the Caps had been this season, that qualified as a slump. Well, the Caps on Monday night got back to being good. A 5-3 win over the Buffalo Sabres at Capital One Arena. Caps now 6-2-4 and on the season. Now, the Caps did lose another player to injury. The Caps remained without a number of key players and lost another key player. Nick Dowd left the game due to a lower body injury. A Dowd in the 5-4 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers last Thursday night returned off having missed three of the previous four games due to a lower body injury. Whether this latest lower body injury is the same lower body injury, I do not know. Uh, but Dowd, aka Dowder, uh, is banged up again. And this comes as the Caps remain without Nicholas Backstrom, TJ Oshie, and Anthony Mantha. Backstrom has been out since the start of Capitals training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. Oshie now has missed five consecutive games due to a lower body injury. And Mantha is out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent this past Friday. And yet still, the Caps are 6-2-4. and four. When it came to the puck possession battle on Monday night, Caps lost in terms of quantity, but not in terms of quality. So the Caps, per natural stat trick, had just 36 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Sabres, 49. But the Caps also had eight high-danger 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Sabres 5, and the Caps finished the game with more shots on goal than the Sabres had. Uh, Caps had 30 shots on goal. Sabres had 28. Caps had a good night on special teams. Caps went 1-3 on the power play, 3-3 on the penalty kill, and Alex Ovechkin had another great game. Ovechkin had an even-strength goal, two assists, a game-high six shots on goal, and a game-high tying 10 shot attempts, and Ovechkin, per natural stat trick, finished number two on the Caps' in 5-on-5 shot attempt percentage for the game at 51.43. The Caps, with Ovechkin on the ice in 5-on-5 situations in the game, had 18 shot attempts versus allowing 17 shot attempts. So Ovechkin's goal was an even-strength goal, 8.55 into the second period, though this was a lucky goal for Ovi. Uh, he was standing in the slot with his back to the net and essentially posting up Sabres defenseman Robert Haig, and Ovi deflected a shot from the point by defenseman Dmitry Orlov. So Ovechkin got credit for the goal, and good for him. I mean, this happens in hockey. Uh, that ends up being career regular season goal number 741 for Ovechkin, tying Brett Hall for number four on the all-time list. Ovechkin is number one in the NHL with 11 goals this season, and Ovechkin's two assists give him 600 career regular season assists. Ovechkin has become just the second player in Caps history to have at least 600 career regular season assists, joining Nicholas Backstrom. Ovechkin is on some kind of roll to begin this season. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Ovi. Alex, you know, another strong game from him tonight. Just, he just had a lot going on. He had a lot of pucks that were on his stick and at the net, and yeah, he could have. Could have gotten another one or two tonight for sure. Um, his line mates were awesome. Willie was terrific. Kuzi controlled the game. And so, again, that line has been terrific. But, you know, Alex, for me, just had a lot of opportunity tonight. Um, you know, he got one to go. He made some nice plays, too. Um, you know, moving pucks to other people to, for opportunities to score as well. Yeah, high-level production from Ovechkin so far this season. You heard LaViolette mention Ovechkin's line mates, Tom Wilson and Evgeny Kuznetsov. They had big nights on Monday night. Wilson had two even-strand goals. Kuznetsov had three assists and went 16-7 and on face-offs. If you're a Caps fan, you likely know that Kuznetsov historically has been atrocious on face-offs. He actually hasn't been that bad on face-offs so far this season. And when it came to the three assists for Kuzi on Monday night, Kuznetsov's three assists give him 300 career regular season assists. He becomes the 12th player in Capitals history to have at least 300 career regular season assists. Also, Connor McMichael. How about the job that he's doing right now? So the Caps took McMichael with the number 25 pick in the first round of the 2019 NHL draft. McMichael on Monday night scored his second career NHL 
regular season goal. He also, per natural stat trick, finished number one on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 54.55. The Caps, with McMichael on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game, had 12 shot attempts versus allowing 10 shot attempts. If you follow the advanced stats for the Caps, you probably already know this, but Connor McMichael has been an analytics darling for the Capitals this season. McMichael, as we speak, is number one among qualified cats this season in five-on-five shot attempt percentage per NHL.com at 59.2. McMichael's goal was an even-strand goal 230 into the second period as he scored on a wrister that he fired while skating into the left circle. The puck deflected off Sabres defenseman Christian Willannon, who was right in front of Sabres goaltender Dustin Tokarski and was dealing with Garnett Hathaway. So the Caps' net presence paying off there as Tokarski seemingly was screened by Willannon, who was dealing with Hathaway. But here was LaViolette during his postgame press conference on McMichael. He, he puts a lot of pucks at the net. I mean, that doesn't happen by chance. you got to be in the right places and you got to be able to get your shot off. And... Um, seems like the more he plays, the more confident he gets. And, um, you know, you start to depend on him and rely on him a little bit more. And so especially with what's going on on the bench tonight, you know, back he's out and then Doubter leaves the game. And so now you're really relying on him. And um, I thought he's I thought he's answering the bell. He's doing a real good job. But you're right. He, the, the goal is it, he brings the puck the net to the net a lot, you know, and so when that happens, anything can happen. It can go in clean, but it can also hit something or, or redirect or rebound or, or even just maintain in possession. But he's got a shot mindset. Uh, as for the Caps goaltending in this win over the Sabres, Vitek Vanacek was a Caps starting goaltender for the ninth time in 12 games this season, and he stopped 25 of the 28 shots on goal that he faced. Vanacek, per natural stat trick, gave up a goal on a high danger shot on goal, a medium danger shot on goal, and a low danger shot on goal. Next up for the Caps at the Detroit Red Wings, Thursday night at 7.30. All right, that will do it for you and me, but just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 184, will feature A special guest, Washington football team insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington will do more on the Chase Young situation and examine where things are with Washington this season and beyond. Also, all post-game Maryland basketball season opener against Quinnipiac in College Park Tuesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. When you get your knocked down, you get up off the mat, and you fight. So what now what?